a la cripta! Ay, 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 ay. Hola, amor. Hola, cariño. Y bienvenidos a Uy, qué horror. A Latinx horror movie podcast with Johnny and Eileen. I'm Johnny. And I'm Eileen. Hi. Hi. Let's get into it. Let's go. We got things to do. We have a guest. We've got a guest. Ladies and we gentlemen, this is this is a special day. We have friends in the house, and uh, this is how we introduce them to you. So <laughs> get ready for this bio that I just threw together. <laughs> I'm so excited. Our guest today is my tia, your tia, tu tia bruja, Bex Carlos. She is the host of the witchy podcast, Tu Tia Bruja, which focuses on conversations about witchcraft, ghosts, the occult, true crime, anti-racism, abnormal things, truly anything from the dark world. <laughs> Ooh, uh. She also is a podcast editor and producer. She's a drink menu designer, which I thought was very fun. A tarot reader and all of which these services she offers on her website, BexBeCasting.com. Bienvenida, Bex. Thank you so much for having me. This is very surreal. Like I like... <laughs> We've built up this great friendship in my head, but now that we've actually been able to like interact and work together, I'm, I'm thank you for having me. Well, it's oh a pleasure gosh. to have you. Truly an honor. We recently were on Tutia Bruja, your podcast to chat about uh, Latinidad and all kinds of stuff. And you brought up a very fun, lovely, amazing man that we treasure and claim as our own. So today, our choice of movie is inspired by you, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, which for us here at Uikiorror means we complete the trilogy. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Totally. Now, question, question for you, Bex. First of all, what a delight to have you on the podcast. I am honored. I just wanted to highlight your podcast very, very quickly, which people must check it out. I just so appreciate your exploration of Latinidad plus, you know, your exploration of your, what I will call spiritual uh, self. I just, I, I, I so appreciate your vulnerability on the podcast and I, I just love what I've heard so far. So Thank you for that. That's tough to do, especially Ooh. in this medium. It absolutely is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just want to say sorry, because I, I know on my no, episode we did together, like I'm all about giving flowers because I feel like we, especially as Latinos or Latina people, like we've been taught, like you don't really tell people what they mean to you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Oh God! Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hard pill to swallow for all of us, but you know. Yeah, I feel that in my chest right now. Literally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, oh dang! <laughs> How yeah. dare you make me feel feelings already, Bex? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is what we do. But no, yeah. um, because honestly, I love your show so much, and the fact that you you are inspired by me in the way that I'm inspired by y'all, I'm just like, oh, look at us. But you know, I think sometimes in in Latinidad or whatever. We we can't like be proud and uplift others. And it's like we have sometimes a lot of people have that mentality of like, oh, if I let other people shine, then it takes away from my shine. It's like, no, we can all shine mm -hmm. so bright. So yeah, so grateful for y'all. I'm glad that you've taken yeah. away things from my show as well. That makes me so happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, it's it's 
just going off what you said, like we should be supporting each other to shine bright. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm just, I'm so honored to have you here. And along those same lines, I just want to ask you what your connection to horror is. How did you get into, are you even into horror movies? How did you get into them? What is your favorite horror movie? More specifically, do you have a favorite Latinx horror movie? Please just tell us, tell us everything. Let us know. (laughs) Give it to us. (laughs) So I feel like (laughs) horror movies were that thing that made me realize I'm a weird kid. Like, Love Me them. too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't get enough of them. And I feel like growing up, I don't know about y'all, but I was made to feel like a sinner all the time. So I was like, why am I attracted to all these morbid, scary, creepy, evil things, you know? Yeah. And, mm. But no, I love horror movies. Um, I like all types. Right now, I feel like I've taken a step away from the zombie films and I'm kind of back into slashers. Um, Scream is at the top of the list The whole franchise Your episode about that yeah. was so good uh, Thanks You basically mm-hmm. recapped like the whole series And we're like and here we uh. are up to this point <laughs> Fun fact 5 is the only one I haven't seen Really So I, I actually just saw 6 Because I was in Mexico And I did a disservice to my friend Because she doesn't speak Spanish And we thought it would be in English Because they never rarely <laughs> release that close They love to do a, a, a subtitle When it comes to uh, the uh, At least the regular Non-animated yeah. films Kind of thing But So they showed it to you dubbed? Yeah it was dubbed, it was in Spanish And so my friend who only speaks English was like what's mm. happening but she was like you know what? i'll figure it out like <laughs> wow i mean it's visual enough for you to get it like there's a ghost face and they're running from him easy easy yeah. peasy. <laughs> got it <laughs> but and i also think that my my love of horror movies is like i saw the exorcist too young i really feel most of us have that shared collective experience so mm-hmm. if y'all relate you know shout out to us we're traumatized yeah <laughs> That's that's hilarious you say that, Bex, because I remember when I lived in Brazil, I just straight up asked my parents. I was like eight and I was like, hey, can I watch The Exorcist? And they're like, sure. They let me rent it. I watched it alone at like as a child. I <laughs> so anyway, Insanity. I, I, I connect. I connect with what you're saying. So do you have a favorite Latinx horror movie that you can think of? So. I don't feel like before your podcast, I feel like I didn't really dig into a lot of Latin horror. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's something I'm kind of exploring myself as well. And I sent y'all a list when we were like trying to figure out which film, but I've really been mm-hmm. specifically been diving into like Mexico's. Uh, but the Santo movies, I think are my favorite because it's a little bit of Goofy. like campy <laughs> kind of like stuff. But the, the Momias de Guanajuato, that was especially uh. one that I love because I've been to Guanajuato. I've seen the mummies and it was just like, all of it's coming together. So I really enjoyed that one. Love it. Amazing. Okay. So before we get into this movie that we picked for today, Dawn of the Dead, which by the way, this is a first time watch for me. I cannot believe I'm admitting that, but this is a first time watch. It was also a first time watch for me. I had seen the Mm. remake before I saw this one. Same. Love the remake. Love, Love the it. remake. Love the remake. That fucking beginning, that cold Ooh. open is a top notch. Like just mwah, give me a child attacking her parents uh, all day long. 
all day long. Love it so much. And I will say here at the beginning of this episode, I have a lot of feelings about this movie. Oh, uh, that may yeah. not be positive. <laughs> yeah, maybe like controversial opinions because it is such a beloved film. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Which I I had, I think, when we talked about Day of the Dead, I went in feeling kind of guilty that I didn't love Day of the Dead. Yeah. And I love <laughs> And Day you of loved the Dead. it. This I happens so much, Bex, it. where I feel like an <laughs> asshole because Johnny has all these very tender, sweet, loving feelings towards some of these movies. And I come in hot and I'm like, well, I think it's garbage. Well, but also there have been times where it's the complete opposite, where you'll be you'll come in and you'll be like, I loved this. And I'm just like, I was not feeling it. You know, yeah. it, it you know, it's, it's the beauty of horror film. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's a rarer occasion, Johnny. I, I think- would agree with that. Yeah, it is more so where I'm like, please be kind. I love this film. Don't destroy my childhood. And Eileen's like, and Eileen says, fuck you. Guess what? Just and I light in. a match and burn the city yeah. down. <laughs> now, Bex, have you have you seen this movie? I have. It's been a long time okay. since I've seen it. Um, but I got to say, now, like, watching it again, it, it still holds up in a lot of ways, but... The remake is so much better. Okay, I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it out loud and uh, that you took it away from, took that responsibility away from us. And I appreciate you for that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Let's jump right in to see how we can have the emotions throughout this film. Yes, uh, don't absolutely. cancel us yet, everyone. Like at least, yes, yeah, please. please, please continue to listen. <laughs> so, okay, so today we're going to be talking about Dawn of the Dead. This film is from the United States of America, released in 1978, written and directed by classic Latine Latinex director. We claim him George A. Romero. So before we dive in. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, or a very slow zombie will really slowly chase you, and you'll probably be able to run away. Uh, (laughs) Now, (laughs) let's get into some titulos de terror. So let's just fucking do Dawn of the Dead. Okay. So in Spanish, Dawn of the Dead is known as El Amanecer de los Muertos, but Mm. there's also a bunch of other titles. So we've also got... um, Muertos vivos, la batalla final. Okay, the final battle. Oh, but this is the second one, I guess. They probably didn't know that a third was coming along. Exactly. At the time, they were like, this is it. (laughs) Uh, También el amanecer de los muertos vivientes. And apparently in Peru, it was just known as zombie. (laughs) But But that's how it was called in Italy, because we'll get into it, but... Dario Argento has his little fingies all over this film. And it was released as zombie in Italy, I guess. And maybe Peru was like, ah, okay, vamos con zombie. (laughs) Zombie. And in Portuguese, it is known as Despertar dos Mortos. Good job. Does that that pass? Okay, great. Perfect. You nailed it. And now... Let's get a little synopsis, Bex, yes. if you will, uh, Bex, please. Bex, our lovely guest, let's hear what this movie is all about. During an escalating zombie epidemic, 
two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his TV executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. That's pretty, that's pretty much it. Yeah. All right. That's <laughs> it, y'all. Okay. Are we ready? We ready to, to get into this dawn? All dawn right. approaches. A blonde woman scrunched up into a corner of a carpeted room has a nightmare. This is Fran. All of a sudden, we get our little title card, Dawn of the Dead. So there's Fran. She's having her nightmare. She screams awake, and there's a man there. Shit's really hitting the fan, he says. Okay. So Fran is in what I believe is the recording booth of a news station, and it is madness at this station. Madness. She leaves this booth and we see a segment of a news report being broadcast. Two men are shouting about the zombie apocalypse, which apparently has been going on for three weeks. One of the men says, every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. A dead body must be exterminated either by destroying the brain or severing the brain from the rest of the body, which... Classic zombie rules. Absolutely. Right here off the top. Established in Night of the Living Dead as well. Fran's boss then yells at her to get a list of rescue stations on TV or else people will tune out, which I was like, this is unbelievable. Fucked. That this boss is like, we can't, like, basically, like, our ratings. (laughs) Like, you're in a zombie apocalypse. And not only that, but he's like, where is the list that's of the rescue stations that we usually have up or whatever? And, and Fran is like, dude, those are old rescue stations that don't even exist anymore. So not only are they like, must have our ratings up, it's must have our ratings up and then send people to their deaths to like places that aren't even rescue stations anymore. That are probably overrun by zombies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is, uh, sorry to butt in, but it's also showing, I think, like a deep layer about how, like, even though there's this whole crisis, people are still just caring about themselves and, like, their bottom line. And I feel like that's something that's really great about this film. There's so many societal critiques. And it's amazing. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Everywhere. And to add on to that, this says a lot about who Fran is because Mm -hmm. she is, like, no, like I'm not going to fucking put this on the news to send people to, to like basically she's like, you're going to murder these people. Yeah. So to I, their I like that. Exactly. Like, I like that this was established about this particular character here. It said a lot about who she is. So then the news report continues. Citizens can no longer stay in their private residences. They will be moved into central areas of the city, which oof, I don't know why that just like that gave me. The willies. How creepy just to like, you do not have control anymore. You can't stay home. Like to the point where like they say, no, it doesn't matter how protected you feel in your home. You cannot stay there because we can't trust you to save yourself. That's horrifying. A man then arrives. This is Steven, but they call him Flyboy throughout the entire movie. So in my (laughs) notes, it's Flyboy. And Flyboy is a traffic reporter. So he goes up to Fran and he tells her, meet me on the roof at nine o'clock. We're getting out in the chopper. Don't make me come looking for you. Okay, bueno pues. 
I don't understand why the people in the TV station are upset. Like, why, why is everybody, like, throwing things at the guy who's, like, giving information and all that stuff? You know, no entendí por qué everybody is, like, up in arms and being like, boo. Like, there's literally a guy goes behind the guy giving information and puts, like, bunny ears behind him. I'm like, ¿y por qué no están? Why are they not on board? It's three weeks of the zombie apocalypse y todavía no quieren creer qué está pasando. But didn't yeah. we like the pandemic is still happening, but didn't we just live through a time where people were like, I need to go oh get my, my haircut. You're right. You're right, Bex. You're absolutely correct. Thank you so much for reminding me about the pandemic that we currently live in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also it's just showing the the madness of this situation. Things are getting very out of control. And also something that that's kind of established here in this opening sequence is that people are like leaving they're abandoning their jobs right and it's right. like we we discover the station's going to shut down they're going to go off air like it's all collapsing to the point where the guy in the camera is like our responsibility is finished like this is this is them saying we've done our job and now it's everyone for themselves exactly exactly and also just to add here I'm so ashamed that I did not catch this, but apparently George Romero is in this scene. Yeah. Pero no lo vi. No lo vi. Did you see he's, him? He's the guy on the control. Like, literally, when she wakes up from the dream and she, like, walks into the madness of, like, the yes, station. Yes, he's right he's there. He's the guy that's like, hey, you, you turn this off. And the gal sitting next <laughs> to him is his uh -huh. then wife, Chris Romero. And she's Amazing. also being like, hey, no, we got to do this other hey, thing. Hey, you over there. <laughs> hey, it's just, click it's that a button. Lot, it's a lot so happening. It's so much madness, I, yeah. It's a lot. But oh, there he was. There he was. There they were. So now we cut to a SWAT raid outside of an apartment complex. And we meet Roger, who I believe is a SWAT team leader, or at least part of this SWAT team. He's a SWAT guy. Mm-hmm. So this SWAT team is trying to clear out a building run by a man named Martinez. And so I'm not going to lie, I was a little confused by this whole situation. But on Wikipedia, it says that the SWAT team needs to clear the building because the building is storing their dead in the basement. And that is what the SWAT team needs to clear, aside from all the people in the building. And also to establish this, I feel like, was specific critique. This building is mostly people of color, if not all people of color. Well, this is a project. Like they say, like these are projects that they're going into. Uh, and in the beginning, when in that TV segment, there's they say that the military is going to basically clear out all these buildings and like try and move everybody. Because, again, you can't stay home. So they're sending mm. the military in to like herd everybody to safe spaces and stuff like that. Um, sure. But I, I agree in that it's confusing because. It almost feels like a drug bust is going on. Yes. Right? Totally. Like they're totally. like, Martinez, get out here with your hands up or something like that. I'm like, okay. Wild. Yeah, this is intense. And another reason that this feels so much like a drug raid is like these people in the building bust out and they're like shooting bang, left bang, bang. and right, like guns blazing. Pero 
The reason they're coming out guns blazing is because they're fucking being surrounded by SWAT team members with a bunch of guns. So it's fully a shoot 'em up. The SWAT team moves into the building. They're throwing gas cans. People are getting shot left and right. They're trying to clear people out. It's a mess. And here is where... <laughs> Well, we first see some of this blood that's used in this movie, and the blood is like crayon. It might as well be glow. <laughs> it is <laughs> wild. Man. This blood. When that head and blows also, up, it's insane. <laughs> damn, that head explodes, which I was like, cool, pero también, like this. I mean, you might as well, like, is this a cartoon? It, Seriously. Ridiculous. But also, I just have to say that, like, so we get our first shots of zombies here. Like, you know, we see them. <sighs> this makeup yeah, is not this, great. This blue this face. N- this bluish look. And also, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh-huh. But, you know, like, they're saying, like, oh, this building is a lot of Puerto Ricans. Okay. A person comes out, supposedly Puerto Rican, and they put... They like made this person up to make their skin. Oh, you like, mean the guy that comes out of the building and says, "There's a thousand pigs out here," and he is fully a white man with blue eyes. And they said, uh, uh, "We're doing West Side Story right now, and we are browning your face. We are throwing Oof. bronzer all over that shit." And then he turns to look at us, and it's just the bluest white man eyes you've ever seen. And I'm like, I mean, and like they also just like throw like a little like mustache and goatee. I was just like, ooh, this is that makeup is bad. Well, bad. there's there's that, and then there's the guy, the SWAT guy, who's just yelling racial slurs all over the place, which <sighs> we later see he's like, he's he himself is problematic in general, even to his SWAT team. But like, right, right. We're establishing that in this world of chaos that we're living now, even our authority figures aren't going to follow the authority like they because he he comes in and he is not even shooting at zombies. He's shooting at the people, at the regular humans. And so it's just like we're watching our our own descent into madness, basically, as we literally go down this building. And it's so timely to see this to see somebody in a position of power just shooting people left and right gleefully i think and it's, brown it's, and black people specifically yes yes and i think it's important to establish here that roger does seem here to help like he's not trigger happy like a bunch of these guys are especially this fucking racist asshole in my mm-hmm. notes he's literally just racist asshole as he should mm-hmm. be as he should be right like and like this fucking guy this racist asshole is shooting people left and right he, he blows that man's head off jesus he's raging Christ. yeah raging but finally this big swat guy in a gas mask shows up and he shoots and kills the racist asshole thank you adios see sí. a la mierda and then the a la mierda, pero then this zombie, <laughs> this makeup on this zombie, the zombie shows up. He walks out of a nearby apartment. Miguelito, you mean? A, yes. <laughs> yes, pero la mujer que viene, she's like, Miguelito, Miguelito. <laughs> oh, Dios mío. Which, look, my Spanish isn't great either. So, you know, I judge myself when I'm saying that, pero <laughs> my God. 
So Miguelito, Miguelito bites the shit out of this woman's neck. Yo. And now this looks fake, but it was, I loved this. I was just like, damn. Like, the like, like biting into a piece of candy. Yeah. Dude. It was legit like taffy. He goes, ooh, oh, girl, my God. that neck looks real good. Chomp. So there's more shooting. It is nuts. Zombies are attacking. And uh, this whole sequence kind of like culminates in one of like these young SWAT guys, these SWAT team members shooting himself in the head. Yeah. Which I was just like, whoa, this is a lot. And it's also a lot for Roger. Roger is like, what the fuck? He is so overwhelmed that he has to step outside to get some air. And out comes this gas mask guy who killed that racist asshole. He takes off his mask. And it's Peter, played by Ken Forey, I believe is uh, mm -hmm. the way you pronounce his last name. I mean, horror. Legend. King. Legend. Classic. Also important to establish that he is black. Yeah. And most, most, if not all of the characters, yeah, like all of the character characters aside from him are white. That yeah. he's going to be spending all his time with in this film. And also a giant. Like a fucking... Oh, yeah giant man yeah. <laughs> compared to this little like pipsqueak of a man that Roger is. <laughs> I love, I mean, I was going to bring this up a little later, but I love these two and their dynamic and their rapport. And it's just, I love that he's a giant and Roger's a mini tiny man. And I love that Peter's black and he's a teeny tiny wispy blonde dude. I love that these two complete opposites become like, I literally wrote down, I hope there's fan art of them like <laughs> frolicking together somewhere, like holding hands and like punching a zombie or something. Cause yeah, yeah. they brought me a lot of joy in this movie. It doesn't seem like they really knew each other very much before this, even though they're on the same SWAT team. Like, I don't think they really knew each other. Right. So they sit together and Roger says to Peter, you running? I could run tonight. A friend of mine's got this helicopter and he asked me to come with him. And at this point, I was like running, like, quote unquote, running, meaning like abandoning your post seems like a very big deal. Like, it's basically like leaving the army like you just don't do that you can't just like walk out you know what i mean pero it's gotten to the the this like the the state of the world is such that like we don't have many other options at this point like this is this has to happen the fact that like the priest kind of gave him the okay like do what you got to do to survive i feel like was his sign you know mm. um because how often is a priest going to be like, just do what you need to do to survive? Not likely, right? So I feel like that sure. was just kind of like a maybe you should leave kind of thing, you know, like in his mind. Absolutely. Well, interesting you mentioned that because this this priest that comes out, he mentions you're going to find all of the dead people in the basement. Like he's giving up his people, this priest. He says, I've given them their last rites. This SWAT team is stronger than the residents of this building, but soon the dead will be stronger than the SWAT team, which I was like, oh, this you, man knows. You are stronger than us, but soon I think they be stronger than you. 
So in the basement, a bunch of SWAT team members are suddenly ambushed by zombies. Like all these dead people that they have in the basement clearly turned and now they are zombies. They break through the walls. They're attacking. So Peter and Roger go down to the basement that's now just full of zombies having a lovely meal. (laughs) And they just shoot them all together, which is like such a dark bonding experience, if you will, for them. Trauma bonding. It's like they have to do it. But it's just so dark at the same time. That moment of Peter shooting one by one each person. And then this zombie like slowly approaches him and he's like he's run out of ammo and he's he's literally like crying. There's tears coming down his face and he's he's not even pressed to change the ammo. He's just kind of like taking his time. And in comes Roger and kills the zombie for him. And like, it's this moment of, I got your back. I'm here for you. And don't worry, I got you. Which I thought, this is really, again, I I love this friendship because through this horrible moment, literally another army guy pops out of like a little shaft door and he's like whoa this is horrible you guys really did like do you need any help and peter's like no we already took care of all of it and there is no way to not connect to somebody after having to see such and do such horrible things i think yeah yeah that was a really hard scene to watch um but the one thing because i always laugh at uncomfortable moments but this reminded me, there's an episode of Bob's Burgers where Tina's like, this is where I thrash because there's the zombies in the like blankets kind of bundled, like swaddled. And I was like, uh-huh. oh my God, this is where they thrash. And that was just like all I could think about for a second. I was like, okay, get back into the movie. <laughs> oh my Tina. God. Bex, you know that that Eileen is like the biggest Bob's Burgers fan, yes? I think I might have known, but like, I don't know why. Like, I haven't watched Bob's Burgers in a while, but that was all I could think about when I saw that scene. I'm like, oh my God, this is where I thrash. It's my fave. I have, I literally have a Tina tattoo. Like every time there's zombies, I'm, there's never not a moment where I'm like, Tina. <laughs> she loves Tina. them. Tina. She loves them. <laughs> Now, last little thing about this scene is that, you know, a bunch of these people who are like coming in to be like, whoa, all these zombies, they they seem to be perplexed as to why, why the people of this building would keep them here. Right. But these guys, at least, or I guess like Peter, at least, seems to be more sensitive to the fact that it's like they just didn't, you know, he seems to have more respect for a possibly a different viewpoint, a different uh culture a different religion which i was like i appreciate it's subtle but i appreciate this here you know what i mean i think peter in general has uh is the most level-headed and grounded of all these characters because he it's almost like he sees the flip side of it every time Mm. and uh, i think Mm. this is the first time we see it in him where we're like he literally says they feel like people shouldn't lose their dignity in th- in death. So we then cut to Flyboy and Fran landing on a building in the chopper. Flyboy has Fran fill the chopper with gas as he goes into the building to check it out, but then they're ambushed by cops? Are these cops? Cops. Yeah. But then a car shows up. 
it's Roger and Peter. And just to remind everybody, so or to tell everybody, Roger and Flyboy know each other. That is the connection here between these groups. Also, welcome back to the main stage from uh, Day of the Dead. Who is it? The head, co- the head cop is Sergeant What's His Dick, the the villain from Day of the Dead. Oh, amazing! I did not realize that. There's wow. a fan. There's a fan theory that he grow like that's the same character that he becomes the shitty fucking captain what's his dick in day of the dead well i was wondering because i was like where is the connection to night of the living dead like the direct connection which i wasn't really finding so i love that i did not notice that whatsoever that's phenomenal i love that (laughs) so you you assume that this situation is going to be tense, but everybody's cool because, again, everybody is, quote unquote, running. You know, like yeah. we're all being like, fuck it. We're abandoning our posts. Nos vamos. So the cops, the cops get into a, a boat. boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that they're, they're ships, quite literally ships passing in the night. We got the Absolutely. cops in a boat. The other gang in the, on their bird and they're like, well, cool. Good luck to you. Where are you going? Well, I'm going to the islands. And where are you going? Well, I'm going wherever I can find a place to land, baby. And it's like, bye. Good luck to you. <laughs> if only that was the uh, the interactions between people in zombie apocalypses. This is the nicest moment that has ever happened where every time else you're like, are you going to rob me? Are you going to kill me? What is, who are you? What are you? This is a, a perfect encapsulation of like, oh, it's nice sometimes. Yeah. It's almost like comedic. Like the cops are kind of like bumbling a little bit. Uh, you know, it's my shoulders were like up to my ears. Cause I was like, who's going to start shooting. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, cool. Bye. See you ya. go do your own thing. After everyone parts too, is like, you kind of learn a little bit more depth about like, them because um someone mentions like oh what are you leaving behind and some and i think it's fran it's like an ex-husband and steven's an Mm ex-wife and then so it's like oh okay well that makes the layers between you a little bit more complicated peter says Mm -hmm. some brothers and i can't remember what roger says but i don't know that was it took like three watches to finally be like oh okay so Fran and Steven have a complicated relationship here. Mm-hmm. Yes, this they are an item, Fran and S- Steven slash Flyboy. But also just to also to go off what you just said, Bex, like when when Peter says that he left behind some some brothers. So when we're in the Real chopper and we're all talking or street brothers. Right. Fran says real brothers or street brothers. And I was like, excuse me? The audacity. And like the the chillness in which she says it in. And Peter looks at her like both, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this I feel was done on purpose by by Senor Romero. Mm. And also I think what was done on purpose was um I mean you don't you have no idea who these brothers are, but Peter does mention one is in jail and the other is a pro ball player. This is definitely Rom- Romero being like, she's going to say something shitty and I'm going to just show that this guy is just a regular man with a regular life. Like, sure, I have a brother in prison. Are you happy that the stereotype is appeasing to you, ma'am? But guess what? I also right. have a pro ball brother and mm-hmm. so suck it. 
kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I found it very interesting. And I was it was just like a subtle way of just being like, check yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Before you wreck yourself. Instead of just like ch- casually being like, street brothers? <laughs> Excuse me, Karen, please. So... It's the next day, and they are still flying. They are exhausted. Below them, they see the military and townspeople just shooting zombies, drinking. Let's go Having a party, basically. Oh, Lord. And then later on, they land at a gas station in the middle of nowhere to refuel. And they don't notice it, but they are spotted by a Frankenstein-looking <laughs> zombie. I love Frankenstein, too, Johnny. I, that I, head. I was like, this Frankie that's coming in? Oh, my God. Man, that's, that's, a, that's a tall forehead. Frank. So... Roger starts to fill the chopper with what little gas is left. Flyboy goes to check out a nearby hangar with Fran, and Peter goes into the gas station office. And in the office, Peter hears some banging coming from a door, so he just fully shoots into it. Fran and Flyboy nearby hear the shot, so they run to check it out. Pero boo! Flyboy is grabbed by a, a zombie. He's attacked. Flyboy has a hammer that he's grabbed, but he drops the hammer. And Fran is just standing nearby, just standing. Another zombie is slowly walking up to her. Y la mujer está ahí just like, oh, what what should I do? Okay, can I give a bit of trivia here, even though, fuck it, like, just go in the middle? Okay. So Galen Ross, who plays Fran, she said to George Romero, she says, I don't want to scream. I don't want Fran to be a character that is like the the night of the living dead. The one that I wanted to punch in the face, Barbara. Mm. She's like, I don't want to be Barbara. I don't want to be helpless. I don't want her to just be like sitting there screaming. So this was an active choice. He, uh, George Romero asked her once to scream. And then she was like, I don't want to. And he never asked her again. And throughout Mm -hmm. this film, she never screams. Never. Not once. And honestly, I kind of like that. I'm glad Her you mentioned growth. that because that came True. up a few yeah. times um, when I was like reading different things. And I was like, I think that that was the smart play here. Right. Because we the helplessness of Barbara in the first one is so frustrating to watch. And this moment, I see what you mean, Johnny, though, that like, girl, uh, do something. <laughs> I'm not judging her character because, you know, like I've never been chased by a fucking zombie. I don't know what the hell I would do. But I actually, as much as I'm like, do something, I also like to see her in this position, like of her being like, I'm just standing here because the character growth of uh, Fran is very interesting. Like her arc, she just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's really, honestly, lovely to see. It's, she's a fascinating character. And I think it's because of moments like this where she did feel so helpless that she, like, throughout the course of the film is just like, I need to learn to be more prepared, you know? Yeah, you can see her make active choices within her moments in the film where she's like, I will not allow the fact that I don't know this or I don't know that to affect my survival like this i think she's very aware of her survival which is great so thankfully flyboy is able to grab the hammer he kills the zombie (laughs) he rushes up 
to this <laughs> other zombie and I, he does like an arabesque. I was just like, what are you doing, sir? He flings his body into this other zombie. I love it. And he and Fran run. Meanwhile, back at the chopper, Roger hasn't noticed the Frankenstein zombie that's coming for him because the chopper blades are still on. It's very loud. But Frankenstein stands on some boxes. He moans and that that alerts Roger. <laughs> when Roger turns around, we see the so the Frankenstein stands on some box and the top of its head gets sliced off by the the chopper blades. And I was like, oh, okay, that explains why you look so That's ridiculous. Why you have a fucking Frank head. But I also loved it. I was like, oh my God, that's just, that's too good. It's too good. It's just ridiculous though. And then we're back in the office with Peter and two zombie children pop out and attack Peter. And these little kiddos are fast. They are running about. Whoa. Which is kind of like shocking to see because for the most part in these, in at least like this film, these zombies are lethargic and slow, but these little baby zombies are fast. And Peter fully just shoots them to death. That was like a choice. They're the only ones who don't make the, or don't do the zombie shuffle. Uh-huh. So that's like very, I don't know, it sticks out. And then in addition, just like a little trivia piece here, those are Tom Savini's niece and nephew. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Ken Forey but did say that say, that was one of the hardest like scenes to shoot, though, because I guess he has, I don't know if he's still living, but has a soft spot for kids. So that one was like mm-hmm. hard. I mean, you're well, it's, it's hard kids. to watch. It's really, it is hard to watch this happen, you know? Because it's not just like pew pew. It's like he fully AR 15 these kids, which is horrible in this day and age also and uh so rough and then another zombie shows up and this one like so far we've seen just these like bluish faced zombies but this one i was like oh it looks kind of gross the side of its face is like gross and all ripped up so this zombie attacks peter but then flyboy shows up and points a gun right at the zombie which means that he's pointing the gun also at Peter. So Peter's like, mierda, he jumps out of the way. (laughs) Flyboy shoots, but he is not a good shot. So in comes Roger. Roger shoots this zombie in the head. Zombie's down. And then Peter comes out and points his gun right at Flyboy and says, never aim a gun at someone. Which this scene, you know, it's just like exciting, fun zombie stuff happening. Pero también to establish like Flyboy and Fran don't, don't have the skills. <laughs> they don't have the skills that, you know, Roger and Peter are coming in. Like, they're lucky to have these two, you know? I also love the way that Roger just, like, really pushes Flyboy out of the way. It's like, let me do this, you know? Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do not know what you're doing. You sir. are absolutely useless, sir. I can shoot yeah. these zombies. It's later on, and we're back in the chopper. They're going over their options because they need to get gas soon. And finally, they come across a shopping mall surrounded by zombies. Classic. I, I love not these really, shots like, of the mall. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I'm not going to say surrounded is like a big word. They're there sprinkled. are plenty. It's not like, oh, shit. It's not like a mass of them. But there are there are quite enough out there. So they land on the roof of the mall. They look through these sunlights and they see a few zombies walking the halls of the mall below. And Fran asks, why do they come here? 
And Flyboy responds, some kind of instinct, memory of what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives, which I found so depressing mm. that you're like base instinct, basic instinct, Sharon Stone, is that you, <laughs> your zombie brain is going to take you back to the mall. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. But I think that's a really, that is, a really great way of like Romero saying like, sometimes capitalism soaks its way to the bone, you know, because Ooh, they're zombies yeah. and they're just like, oh, this is comfortable to me. Let me go back there, you know? Yeah, it's so ingrained in us that like even when our brains are no longer working, that <sighs> it's it's innate now. It's where I'm drawn to. Yeah, Boof. we are the zombies. We don't need to be converted into an actual zombie to know like, oh, you're talking about us, George. Got it. I yeah. got it. Consumerism. Oof. We got it. It's it's yeah. within us. So they see a bunch of boxes labeled survival supplies in a room below them. So they bust into the building through a sunlight and they discover a storeroom. And in these boxes, they find some spam, which I was like, <laughs> classic. Fucking Listen, spam. get some spam in there. They also discover a nearby staircase that leads into the storeroom. And this seems to be the only way into the storeroom. So they barricade the door. It's a bit later on, and Peter says that there's a lot of stuff in the mall we can use. And Roger, he's all smiles. He's like, yep, I agree. So the two of them decide to head down into the mall. Flyboy is asleep, so Peter leaves a gun for Fran, which I really appreciated this small act that he did for her. And he even, like, very basically teaches her how to shoot it, which I was like, thank you so much for doing this. But not and only that, he also was like, and if you hear shooting, don't panic. Like he leaves her with protection, not only actual, but like mental protection. He's like, by the mm -hmm. way, this is what's going down. And anybody else would have said, fuck you. I just met you a day ago. I'm and, keeping and not, my gun. And doing whatever I want yeah. to do. And not only that, he says, if anyone but us Meaning, you know, me and Roger comes up these stairs. You t you get in that chopper and you get the fuck out of here. Which fuck I, I, I was like, thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He doesn't have to care about them, but it's it's just like it's just human decency. Totally. So Peter and Roger head down the stairs and into what I call the boiler room slash basement of this mall. And in this basement, they find an information room with keys to the whole mall, blueprints, a power switchboard, some walkie-talkies, which they take. And then they turn on the mall music. They turn on fountains, all sort of stuff in the mall, which they hope will distract the zombies. This mall music, oh my God. Can you imagine is working in this mall? Literal oh. slide whistles. Like... Yeah. Whoop. Yeah, that one. <laughs> and like... Because they've turned on the power on the mall and the escalators are running and there's like fountains and whatever, these zombies like <laughs> are such goofballs. It looks so silly. Like the ones on the escalator kind of falling all over themselves and then this slide whistle music happening. I'm like, George, what is happening right now? Well, it makes them look, at least to me, particularly... Innocent? Dumb, but yeah. also like comedic, which I think he was kind of going more for that vibe in this movie. He absolutely you know? was. They also, 
so they finally like they make it into like the mall proper like where the stores are and like <laughs> just like the variety first of all the zombies are not very bloody which i'm like where are the bite wounds but oh whatever but they do see a hari a hari krishna um uh, yes. a, a zombie which i was like this is madness and also just takes you not that i've you know i was not alive in the 70s but takes you back to that particular era yes, of, yes. you know like 70s 80s ish you know what i mean plus like just mall culture at the time Dude, over the top the good old american mall so they rush out they're bashing zombies they make it to the glass doors of a department store which peter tries to open with with these keys but this keychain is big and there's like a million keys Como. so he's struggling <laughs> oh my god Roger stands nearby. He's shooting zombies. And Flyboy, back in the, the, the storeroom, he hears the shooting, so he grabs the gun that Peter left for Fran, and he leaves Fran defenseless. A dick. It's this, this moment of Flyboy has an issue with, let me prove my masculinity right now. I just we were just at that gas station with the the helicopter and I wasn't able to shoot anybody. If anything, I was shoved out of the way because I was a burden and a nuisance. <laughs> he literally hears mm. the shots in the mall and he turns to Fran and says, they're maniacs and then grabs the gun and goes with them. And I'm like, this is a contradictory term, but fine. It's this need to prove that he's also a man like them. Like, oh, they're they're mm. not the only ones who are going to go out there and be protective of the space I'm in. And in turn leaves her defenseless. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> oh, God. So thankfully, Peter and Roger are able to open the glass doors of the department store. They're fighting off zombies. One zombie makes it into the store with them. Another zombie takes one of Roger's guns. My gun! But finally, they close the glass door. They kill the zombie that got in. And Peter and Roger are like kids in a candy store. They are delighted. Peter runs. He grabs a TV and a radio. Peter finds a little wheelbarrow and they stash it full of goods. But like them going through this small sequence, fucking Roger sli <laughs> like sliding down the, the 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 space in between the escalators. I was just like, so fun. You guys, ridiculous. So they go down to level one of the department store and they start to bang on the glass doors down here on level one. So the zombies upstairs on level two will come down, leaving the upper door clear so they can escape. Meanwhile, Flyboy has made it to the boiler room basement area and he goes into that information office. He finds a gun in there and also some blueprints of the building. And behind him... We see a zombie prowling, but he doesn't see it. And that really spooked me. Like, I was like, oh, I don't like seeing the zombie in the back, like, just shuffling along. I was like, no, 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 yeah, no. Well lit and creepy back there. This this was great. And so he goes back out into the boiler room and he finally sees the zombie. But it keeps, like, disappearing. It's very, like, cat and mousey. So. Flyboy just starts shooting and like bullets are ricocheting everywhere. And then, uy, the zombie comes out. Pero este dundo wasted all his bullets. So the zombie fully attacks him. I also wrote Meanwhile, down dundo. Dude. <laughs> que dundo, pero también, mira, 
You've seen, you shoot it once, you see that that bullet is ricocheting all over the place. You gotta stop, dude. Porque esa verga. Stop. It's gonna hit you. Oh my God. Hello? Estupido, no joda. And then, y gastaste <laughs> todas tus fucking bullets like an idiot. Yeah, you deserve it. Meanwhile, Rogers and Peter's plan worked, so they open the glass door on level two of the department store and they make a run for it with their wheelbarrow. But then we go back to this boiler room. Flyboy, thankfully, is able to reload and he shoots and kills that zombie. He grabs a book with mall blueprints and he heads off. And as he's trying to get back up to their safe space, like that storeroom, he's attacked by a bunch of zombies, but he's able to fight them off. And he sees... Peter nearby fighting zombies also. So he runs toward Peter and they both run, but they leave the wheelbarrow of goods behind and they head back to the department store rejoining Roger. So they shut themselves back in the store and again, they try that like same trick again, distract the zombies to level one. But as as they're running, this actually really scared me. They're the running zombie and, mannequin. Yeah, zombie mannequin. <laughs> pops out and attacks Roger. But the zombie must be like, I don't know, a, a tradesman of some sort. So Roger grabs the um, a screwdriver and slowly stabs mm. the zombie in the ear. Ooh. And, and that, again, like, just like orange red blood. Fluorescent blood. <laughs> Ridiculous. Also, I you know what I noticed um, throughout this like little segment of uh, Stephen Flyboy uh, getting to them like through the boiler room and everything the zombies don't have a lot of don't make a lot of noise like they're not very vocal or like growly or anything and i think i miss that like i feel like that definitely adds to the to the fear factor of the zombies and the fact that Mm. these guys are just kind of like silently grabbing at people i'm like it doesn't land as strongly as I wish it would. Sure. And to add on to that, this movie has a lot of music, which is constant throughout the film, which I actually like, I liked some of the music, but it also is just like always All the time. All the time. You know, so even if there were zombie noises, you wouldn't even really hear it. Like, I really don't even remember like hearing them at all. But yeah, exactly. So they make it back to level one and they're like hooting and hollering by the glass doors. Flyboy here goes, whoopee. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my, sir, you are so fucking corny. Cringe. Ugh, I was just like, I'm, exi- I'm embarrassed for you. Whoopee. But it works. It's establishing that we're working together and now we're all friends. Yay. Now we're pals. <laughs> it's a boys club. Poor Fran. And then, well, speaking of which, back with Fran, um, the Hare Krishna zombie has figured out how to get into the stairway leading up to where Fran is hiding. Back in the department store, this is where Peter is like, you know what? Maybe we've got a good thing going here. Like this might be, we might be able to stay here for a while and like regroup. You know, we got everything we need here in this mall. And Flyboy shows them the blueprint book that he grabbed from the office 
and it's the heating system, and it shows a passageway above the stores. So they rush to an elevator. Peter opens the top hatch of the elevator and finds the shaft that they can escape through that Flyboy noticed in the blueprints. I will say here, and I'm so, I'm so glad and honestly relieved, Eileen, that you found this rapport fun and uh-huh. like good because for I was like this is all very jokey and broy you know it was like we're bros dude and at, on the one hand I I always appreciate that levity in horror films however on the flip side I was a little bit just like oh my god these are men being men, and I am a man, you know, I, I, I claim it. But I was also like, y'all, the stakes are so high. You are literally in a zombie apocalypse. You're not, I was like, you, you don't seem to be taking this situation seriously, even though they are. It was just a weird thing happening at the same time, like a weird juxtaposition. But I feel like that is on purpose. To sh- like that's George Romero being like, you know, even in this situation, people, first of all, on the one hand, people can remain their human spirit and their lightness and, and you know, their, their humor. But at the same time, maybe people don't take the situation seriously, the situation that they're in. You know what I'm saying? Or it's people need the distraction and the... They can't handle the reality of this chaos and apocalypse that their only resort is to go completely the other way. And we see this a little bit later with Roger, where you get a little uh, you. You have to find confidence somewhere, and if it's in if it's being delusional, then maybe that's. That's all people can rely on. Like if I if I focus on the reality of this, it'll be too much. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And who's to say like how we will we would all respond or react to a situation like this? Girl, you know, serious. And it is sort of like their way of disassociating from the heaviness of it all, but it kind of gets them in the end, you know. Yes, and it just like escalates. You know what I mean? This lightness, if you will. So the guys make it into this shaft and they spy a gun store, which I was like, in a mall? Ooh! Okay. I mean, Walmart has fucking guns now. So I just was like, I mean, it, it hit me especially hard because I was just, like, you know, in our day and age, I was like, ugh, this is so gross. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so they spot this gun store and... They, they see it like under them through events. So we're ba- basically establishing, oh, we will definitely be back here later. Back with Fran in the stairway, she sees the Hare Krishna coming for her. So she barricades the door to their safe space. Protect me, spam. But I found this zombie actually kind of scary. I was just like, I don't like looking at this face. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're giving me the creeps. I was like, I don't want to look at you. Wow. <laughs> Even though it's like the, the it's it like it doesn't look great, but I was still like, Ugh, no me gusta. <laughs> so the spam does not protect her. The Hare Krishna is able to force its way in. Fran grabs a flare, which she lights to kind of keep the zombie away. She tries to climb up a ladder to the roof as the zombie is like grabbing at her legs, but thankfully, the guys make it back in time. Roger fully 
busts this Hare Krishna's head in with the butt of his gun, and Fran is okay. Gracias. Adios. I really like that she used a flare because that's a callback to Night of the Living Dead where they're afraid of fire. So the guys take the Hare Krishna zombie out of their their safe space and they head back into the safe space with their wheelbarrow full of goods. Great. They set up the radio and the TV, which on the TV, it shows emergency broadcast network. So at least they have a signal, even though nothing is really being broadcast. They eat caviar. They're drinking some booze. And Fran sits alone in a separate room as the guys talk. Flyboy reveals here that Fran is three, maybe four months pregnant. Girl. So Roger's like, she needs a doctor. But Peter says, no, we can deal with it. Do you want to abort it? It's not too late, and I know how. Whoa. Okay. All right. Yes. You say yes. In this moment in time, you fucking idiots, say yes. Well, interesting, because then Flyboy goes in to check on Fran, and she says this line that I actually really love. She's so, like, incisive here. I don't know if that's the correct word, but she says... Smoking her 50th cigarette of the day. Dude, esta mujer fumando, pero that's not all. También con su vino. Brother, de todo. She might as well, she is like, she might as well have a list, all things to not do while pregnant. (laughs) And she's like, check, check, check. And with gusto, just like See, smoking it, these cigarettes. Uno Mujer, tra otro, por favor. Uno tra otro, puta, calmate. Híjole. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but Fran here says, are all your decisions made? And I was like, ooh, goddamn. I loved that. But then she says, do you want to abort it? Y el flyboy dice, do you? Now this... You know, I feel like this abortion talk doesn't quite go anywhere. However, what do you do with this situation? Are you going to bring a baby into this kind of world? And I think this is so smart of George Romero of being like, this is 1970, what, eight? 1978. Mm -hmm. We're in the midst of the U.S. like probably having this conversation. You know what I mean? It's a very grounded in reality moment in this absolutely absurd moment in time what do you do if you are pregnant when literally you're fighting for survival at every moment if it were me personally goodbye i can't i simply cannot and then say you even like went through it right like a crying baby that's going to be a risk like come on And George Romero does this in in such a way that he doesn't give you the the decision or the answer. It's just kind of like, what do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 really fascinating how this is done here. So Flyboy and Fran continue this conversation. Fran says, I loved this so much. See, she says, you're all hypnotized by this place, all bright and neatly wrapped. You don't see it's a prison, too. Mm. Let's just take what we need and keep going. Which, honestly, I was like, the scarier option, but also, yes, like, I think we should move, honey. Vámonos. But when Flyboy dice, we've got everything we need right here. Cut to a news report. 
that says, the zombies are not cannibals. Cannibalism implies an interspecies activity. The zombies cannot be considered human. They attack and prey on humans, but not themselves. There is little intelligence. What skills remain are remembered behaviors from normal life. There are reports of these creatures using tools, but in a very primitive way, which I love it when these movies offer us just like a little bit more, you know, explanation on like the zombies and how they work. Not that we don't necessarily know this, but I do specifically like them using tools that thing you know i was like thank you for that because i hate it when zombies are like grabbing guns and shit and using them but this also ties into fucking day of the dead you know yeah absolutely night of the living dead Mm -hmm. as well you know so useful it adds also to the the information we already have of them being drawn to places from memory so like like they're at their most basic instinct Sharon Stone level where you know they remember to go to places that they used to go to all the time they remember that tools are something that can be used also the thought of zombies with tools in general is terrifying I don't want to be <laughs> in my house and then just uh, some guy smashes my window in with whatever tool he has no Right, you're right. Not only are you going to eat me alive, you're going to use whatever tool. Please, please no. Please, please no. Please no. So we see a shot of this reporter that's telling us all this cannibalism stuff. It's this dude with an eye patch, and he says, they must be destroyed on sight. You got it, dude. Mm-hmm. Great voice this guy has. What a fucking silky, deep, powerful voice. I could hear him read the phone book, this man. <laughs> So Fran is watching this news report on TV, and it also mentions a vaccine, which I was like, hmm, this is very timely. Moderna. (laughs) The guys, meanwhile, are on the roof scoping the scene, and so they want to move some nearby semi-trucks to block the mall entrances. Cool. Mm -hmm. So they come back down into their safe space, and Fran says, I'm sorry you found out I'm pregnant because I don't want to be treated differently. I'm not going to be den mother. I want to know what's going on, and I want to have something to say about the plans. There's four of us. Now what's going on? And I was just like, yes. Yes, Fran. Thank you. Lay down the law. Because Stephen is like, Loved that. oh, Fran, what, uh, Fran, like Stephen is just swinging his face around like being such a whiny bitch. And Peter literally comes behind him and, he, and he's like, yes, that is correct. She is part yeah. of our now he, new society. So she must be included. And also counteracts, you know, uh, and is just sort of like. But if this that's the case, you got you can't go out until you know how to handle yourself. Yeah. Which is fair. Right. Absolutely. Like, it's tough to hear. Like, he comes up and he's like, fair enough. And he's like, the plan is we're going to do this and do that. But you're not coming because you're not ready, which I was like, I do find this frustrating. But you're not wrong, sir. Like, she's not ready to go out there shooting guns and stuff, you know? But to add on to that, she says, well, I want to learn how to fly that helicopter, which I was like, yes, you do. You absolutely do. do. And she says, if anything happens to Flyboy, we have to be able to get out of here and don't 
leave me without a gun again. Gracias, señora. Yeah. Ooh, loved this little scene here. Great stuff. Pero el fly boy is being a smug motherfucker. Ugh, calm down, but he Steven. Does, ugh, but he does leave her a gun and ammo. Very, like, you know, smugly. And the guys head off. Flyboy is in his chopper and he's keeping an eye on the guys below as Peter and Roger hop into semi-trucks that they plan to drive back to the mall to block the entrances. And thankfully, Roger knows how to hotwire the semi-trucks. And now, Eileen will continue. Hello. Hello. Fran watches up from the roof as these guys work out this plan where basically Peter and Roger are going to take two trucks, drive together down to the mall, drop one off, and then Roger will get into Peter's truck, go back to the parking lot with the semis and do that three, four, three more times until they block all four entrances to the mall. And while they're doing this, Peter and Roger are like breaker, breaker, one nining at each other from their individual trucks. It's very funny and cute. <laughs> Fucking Steven is in the in the chopper, just like making sure that's all working out. And when they go to drop off the first truck, we see that like all the zombies come out of their truck yard hiding spots, too, because they hear commotion and stuff and they attack Roger, who's trying to jumpstart the second truck around to the point where it gets such like it's such a close call that Peter has to kill a zombie that Roger holds up the head to. And then from behind another one that Roger shoots and kills. And this kind of like fucks with Roger and this is he gets a little crazy eyed and he's like well we got this though we got this by the ass he says and Peter immediately is like uh oh this close call has done something to him and it's like mm. what I said earlier in that his delusional confidence this moment where he was like it was so close but I made it that made him feel feel invincible and yeah, that's yeah. not a good idea to feel invincible during a zombie apocalypse and also circling back like because we were talking about how they use tools and whatnot the fact that like he opened it with a crowbar that zombie you know yeah he smashed that window with a crowbar so like not only are you overly confident in a zombie world, you're overly confident in a zombie world where they can use tools too. <laughs> and also Roger was not really being aware of his surroundings. I was like, sir, if you're going to be heated like this, you got to you got to open those eyes. You got to be aware of your surroundings at all Constantly. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they drive back to the mall to drop off the second truck, but Roger's on this weird gun happy high. So as he's moving to go into Peter's truck to go pick up the next truck, he stops to shoot zombies when he really doesn't have to. All he has to do is pile into Peter's and go. But no, let me fucking prove that I'm cool. And he's shooting around and he almost gets bit if it weren't for Fran on the roof who's got her gun and she shoots hey. the fucking dude off of fucking Roger. So thank you, Fran. Yes, thank you. 
And in the truck, Roger is like, it's almost like he's on cocaine. He is freaking out and like having this manic moment. And he starts losing it because he realizes he le- left his bag behind in the other truck. And Peter's Who cares? like, uh, bro, come Go on. Ahead. And come Peter on. is like, Sharon Moonstruck, snap out of it. Because like, <laughs> bro, you can't. First of all, you're not. He literally says, you're not only playing with your life, you're playing with mine. and. This is a really I think this is a really great moment for Peter because so far he has been so much about the group. And in this moment, he gets to be an individual that's like. I get it that you're losing your shit, but I'm part of this, too, and I would like to live. This is also about me. Mm -hmm. Which. Again, why I like this friendship is what brings Roger back down to earth very quickly. And to be fair, he does snap out of it. He's like, you're right. I need to chill. But still, Peter being Peter, he drives back so that fucking Roger can get his bag back. But guys, this was a bad idea because, of course, he gets it. He drops it and he gets it. Like two zombies bite him, one in the arm, one in the leg. He still manages to climb back into Peter's truck, but the deed has been done and we all know what that means. We are about to go down. We're going down, down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) At their home base. I called the the safe space their home base. So great. From now on, switch it up, everybody. So at their home base, Fran patches up Roger while Stephen and Peter work on their next part of the plan, which is getting the guns and ammunition. So Peter and Stephen travel through this, the air ducts, air pipes, pipe ducts, shaft, the shafts, (laughs) (laughs) and they end up at our local mall's gun store and we get this fun montage of them grabbing all the guns and strapping them onto themselves and boxes of ammunition. And uh, last night while I was taking notes and stuff, I paused for a moment to watch um, the kill count of this movie. uh, James A. Janice dead, dead meat. Do you watch um, the kill count Bex? I don't lovely program. Yeah. It's very fun on YouTube. He's got literally all the horror movies and he counts all the dead people, right? And so in this one, he talks about how this scene is very Edgar Wright. Like if you were to picture Mm. Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead, there's he always has these moments of close ups and fast moving shots to like. Because they're not just, oh, I'm grabbing a gun, I'm grabbing a gun. It's very stylized and grab this gun and strap it on and do this thing. And they're all close ups of this of these products, which I was like, how lovely to see the origin of the inspiration uh, for somebody else who's also making great movies. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. Also, the music in this situation is bonkers, bro. I mean, let's say it now. Music by Goblin featuring Dario Argento. And it's just Mm -hmm. so kooky. (laughs) Una locura. So now our group of four is armed 
to the teeth because they didn't even grab everything from the store. They but they still are T to B covered in guns. And Roger, who is ill, obviously from zombie bite, is in the little wheelbarrow. And so they run into JCPenney's to grab a couple of torches from the hardware so they can run through the mall and kill all the zombies inside. Because now all the entrances are blocked off by the trucks, right? And they can't make it inside through the doors. Great. Wonderful. And so what's left inside are the zombies that were just in there. They still want to go lock the front doors that have been covered by the by the trucks. So they have to figure out a way to go through the mall with all the zombies to get to these entrances to lock them all. And Fran, who is a smart cookie, she's like, why don't we just hop into one of those random ass Pinto cars that are sitting in the middle of the fucking mall? And yeah, yeah. And drive through. Why not? Pero yo dije, esos carros no tienen gas. Ahí están sentados sin gas. I thought the same gas. thing. How does this work? I'm like, where's I my mean, llave? They have to have gas to bring it in there. Sí, y la llave? <laughs> Correcto. Thank you, Bex. ¿Dónde está la llave? Is it just in there? Like, if this was regular, like, non-zombie world, anybody would get in that car and fuck off. Like, what are you talking about? Anyways. Suspend disbelief. This car is fully gassed and has a key in the ignition. Yeah, pero también we saw that el, el Roger, si sabe how, he knows how to... Um, hot wire. Hot wire. Hot yes. wire car. So what right. he did with the trucks. Right, right, right. That's true. So we don't need the key. All we need is we gas. Have, and we have so half a plan. <laughs> we have... There's gas in there. So... Peter pushes Roger in his wheelbarrow to, and shoves him into the, the trunk of this Pinto. And Roger climbs in and a zombie comes in out of nowhere and squeezes his wound, his bite on his leg. And the blood that comes out of there, I was like, oh, my God, this it's moment. Like, it's almost like the wound pops. It's so gross. Uh, just gushing, disgusting. Pero el Peter blows this lady's head off. So off we go in the Pinto through the mall to lock all the entrances, killing as many zombies along the way as we can. And after locking one set of doors, they ride off to uh, lock another set. Stephen walkies to Fran who's uh, still in uh, what I'm calling the JCPenney. And mm -hmm. he tells her, dude, it's going to work. Like, we did it. We got here. We locked the doors. We're going to go to the other one now. And it's going to be great. And after we're done locking, we're going on a hunt. And we mm -hmm. see Fran. This moment, I was like, oh, I didn't. Because well, the first time I watched it, I didn't click. But the second time, I was like, interesting. Fran is sitting on the ground, reloading her gun, staring out these glass doors at another zombie that's sitting across from her, watching her do this. And I was like, this is so eerie. And then yeah. suddenly she hears the gunshots. We don't even see the massacre that they do as they're going through the zombie mall because we are focused on Fran loading her gun and hearing the shots. And I was like, I like that we don't have to see it all happen. 
that we're just Absolutely. focused in this moment, you know? It felt like a moment of humanity because the zombie is not threatening to Fran. No, I mean, he's there sitting is the glass there door watching her. They're just looking at each other. It's really interesting. A little while later, our group of four lean against the railing and they look down at the aftermath of this hunt that they had on the ground floor of the mall. Just bodies strewn everywhere. And back in their home base, Peter and Stephen plan on building a fake wall to hide the entrance to their home base, basically. And he's and Peter says, you'll never know who's going to come by if there are looters, if there's raiders. And I don't want to give them a chance to be able to come here. Pero. Rogers está Mal. Este brother, estamos not doing well. And Fran is helping him. She gives him shots of morphine and stuff, but the infection is spreading quickly. And Peter says that he's seen a lot of these guys get bitten and none of them last more than three days, which is very sad. Peter and Steven grab uh, supplies and they start working on building this fake door to protect themselves fucking peter with the arms that i was like excuse me sir this, this body tank top situation this body adi adi okay damn Senor. peter just like woo altísimo gigante y unos músculos yo dije santa Bello. maria pedro así me gusta okay <laughs> <laughs> While they're building this fake door, la pobre Fran fucking pregnant, barfing in a toilet. Pobrecita. Amor. While on a smoke break, Peter says to Steven that they got to clean up this fucking place because it's going to start stinking of rotten dead bodies. And so we get a montage <laughs> of them cleaning up piling these bodies onto carts as this like circus music plays. It's the only thing I could call it is circus music. And they're moving these bodies into the refrigerators where their food is, dude. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, your food. Please move the food. Cause there's a few refrigerators there that they use huge giant walk-in ones. I'm like, can you just put the bodies in one and then the food in another? It doesn't have to be, you don't don't share it. That's bad. Yeah. There's like a big slab of beef right back there. I'm like, <laughs> not by the beef, not the bees. So now that the zombies are out of the mall, there's none. These four are four friends can move about freely and truly, truly indulge in that mall life. And Ooh. they basically like it's like you said earlier, kids in a candy store, but times a thousand this time they go to the <laughs> they go to the bank and grab a bunch of money. Peter and, and Steven take a fun picture with the security camera, which is very funny, holding up like put it on a shirt. <laughs> put put it on a picture. shirt. Anyways, 
we see the gang trying on clothes, grabbing candies. Fucking Fran is ice skating in the rink. They're playing with sports equipment, grabbing fancy cheeses and salamis, which would be my first stop. Absolutely. What else would uh, be on your list if you got to like run around in a mall, you know, because they're doing all this stuff? What would you do? I would absolutely go food first. Like there was no way that I wouldn't grab all the snacks that were available. I would maybe grab a video game of some sort, maybe like a a PS, the fanciest video game that there is. And like just all the video games that go along with it. Um, There's like a name where they go by like a perfume counter. I'm like, oh man, I think I would just want to like fuck around with perfumes for at least like. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I I really enjoy fragrances. So I feel like I'm like, well, I have some downtime. Let's see what they got. You know? Sure, sure. I'm like, to pay that much for a fragrance? Like, why not? Absolutely. I see for me it would be the cream the the creams. It would be lotions and, and potions that I would gravitate to. Uh, and maybe shoes too. If we're talking like uh, clothing and things, I'd be like, let me try on all the shoes. Uh, wouldn't wear them. I just would want to put them on to see what's up. What about you, Johnny? Oh, yeah. What would be your thing? They they go through. I mean, I have an incredible sweet tooth, and I do remember that they go to a candy store very very briefly. I would probably hit up the candy store. Maybe there's a mall. Not we don't see it in this in this movie, but maybe a mall cinema. Go see what they're playing at the cinema. They also there is a bar there, which I was like mall mall bars like, but this is like a divey looking kind of bar, which I was like would definitely go in there and sample some of those beers. But gosh, I don't know the ice skating rink. Sure, they also grab a bunch of coffee. I just wanted to point out the coffee because absolutely you're gonna need fucking coffee. That was such a specific choice. Yes, what a smart thing to do. Oh my gosh, seriously. Outside, the zombies are still pawing at the doors, and Peter reminds us that they remember this place, and they remember that they want to be in this place, which I wrote down, capitalism, of course. Yep. And Fran asks, what the hell are they? And I love this line where Peter goes, they're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. And he tells us about his Trinidadian granddad, who was a Macumba priest. And he would say, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And unfortunately, this just travels through to our good friend Roger, who is continuously going down the fucking toilets with these two bites that he had. I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting because he he mentions like his practices and stuff, which kind of explains the perspective of Peter earlier and why they respecting the dead because it's it's like kind of voodoo and all that. And also it explains when he's suggesting if they do want to abort, that's probably why he knows how to do it because there's different oh, liquids God, and, yes. and herbalism, you know, where you could kind of like eject a fetus if you needed to. So I was just like, and that's why I was like, that we have to expand so upon this later. Cause I was like, if we'll not, we'll get into a whole tangent about it now. But I was just like, that makes so much, that explains why he's more like understanding and sympathetic and of the, the zombies because they have like some parallels in like different voodoo culture. Um, right. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, I believe he mentions that. And so I was just like, interesting. Romero, I'm like, you always go there and, and connecting things and, and having little like Easter eggs if you're paying attention and can like, ah, yes. Cause I was the one that was one that like, after I watched it, I think this for this, you know, for this specifically the second or third time I was like, oh, snaps. I never realized that. And I mean, I didn't put together until now you saying that him being somebody that has Makumba in their ancestry, so close even with his grandfather, that does make so much sense that he has probably healer knowledge of some sort that would aid in an abortion if he needed to. That's wow. That's really very cool connection. So is it yeah. Macumbia, would it be, if he was from Trinidad? Because I know in the movie he says voodoo, which I was like, I don't think this is correct, but... I don't think so either. I think uh, Macumba... Well, we'll talk about Macumba in trivia a little bit more, but Macumba itself uh, is... I don't know about Trinidad. I've only heard of Macumba in Brazil, actually. Uh, and um, it does deal with like the darker side of uh the spiritual aspect of things like orishas and uh, candomblé that leads more into the lighter side of things and macumba is towards the darker study of that got it um but i know that voodoo does have this belief of uh of zombies and if no room in hell the dead will walk the earth and that kind of stuff and maybe that was just i had like misheard it but i could have sworn that he had said that his grandfather was a voodoo priest but it was a he said it was a macumba priest and then he goes you know voodoo and so it's like i don't know there peter <laughs> figure it out Peter's like, uh, close enough. It's fine. These white people are going to fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so poor Rogers está muy mal. And in his little room that he's like sheets to his chin, he's littered with like medicine boxes and, and cans of spam and stuff like that. Peter sits with him and Rogers asks him to, quote, take care of him when he goes because he doesn't want to be a zombie. And Peter sits watch with Roger as he literally is just dying in front of him. He drinks whiskey while in the other room, Steven and Fran watch the eye patch scientist again, suggest that we throw nuclear bombs onto the big cities. Like it's no big deal. Hey, why not just nuke them all? Roger's sheet is slowly pulled off of him and reveals the zombie Roger. The scientist on the TV gets louder talking about being rational and logical. This is the time to be logical. It is time to be logical and bang a gunshot from the other room. Peter and Steven bury Roger in one of the mall's decorative gardens where I was like, I thought the same thing where I was like, guys, pero también, first of all, an act of respect. Truly. You know, and they're, they don't really have many options. They're not going to go outside. They can't like, know? So I was open like, these doors again, move the trucks so they can like move, bury their right, friend out undo there. Undo all this work. See. And also, I just have to say, to take it back very quickly, this reveal of Roger's face, 
I loved the makeup here. And it's such a classic shot. Even if you've never seen this movie before, you would see this shot. I, like, I watched this and I was like, oh, this shot. Mm-hmm. It's so great. And it's so sad, honestly. It's just like, ugh. The fact that he is, the sheet just like is so slow lowering his, in his face. There is no sense of danger at this moment. Like the only There's sense. Like confusion. Yeah. And honestly, just like grief for Peter that he has to execute his fucking friend. And it, and the fact that he stayed with him while it happened is. It's so it's heartbreaking. And he makes a he says to to Peter, he's like, I'm going to try really hard not to come back, which is heartbreaking. uh, It's so sad. The whole time that Rogers was sick, Peter was so supportive and like there for him. And every time he was having his moments of like, we got him good, didn't we? And then Roger and Peter is there being like, we sure did, buddy. Mm hmm. He's just like, Mm. All I can do is be there for my friend while he fucking gets consumed by the zombie virus. Oy. There's nothing I can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Later, Peter prepares Fran and Steven a lovely romantic meal while he goes to drink champagne by Roger's burial site, which I was like, Peter. This was so awkward. <laughs> The 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 saving grace for me in this scene, first of all, because let us reiterate, Peter is black. Yeah. Y, y esta mujer y el flyboy, they are white as can be. And just having the two of them sitting there with Peter come out being like kind of like their mesero. Uh-huh. I was like, I don't know if I like this, <laughs> but thankfully, fa- thankfully, Fran is like, hey, where are you going? Sit with us, you know? but he needs his alone. I was like, thank God she fucking said that. Because if you were just going to say that, that he's just doing this, this like serving them. No, thank you. Please. Can we not do this right now? But oh no, he, he's like, he needs a moment to be by himself with his, you know, now dead friend to just chug a fucking bottle of champagne. Solito. Wow. Girl, you got to do what you got to do. I didn't love also like, Cause obviously that was a choice uh, to make Peter be very like, like almost like a server. I don't know. I sometimes I hate how like in horror specifically, but in a lot of like roles of for black folk, like it's very much they're like the best friend that just kind of adds to the other people's lives. So yeah, yeah. that I was like Romero, mm. but why? But I think that was yeah. also a conscious choice. I agree. And I but I do think, thankfully, at least for me, like Peter is the central character of this film. This is very much ensemble, but Peter is the Peter. Peter is the man like that. He is the central character here that I also think was a was a like a, a conscious choice of Romero's because he did it. Also in Night of the Living Dead, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think also so. maybe a different way to look at it. This is this could also be Peter being like, I just need a moment with my dead friend 
And I don't need these two people to be all up in my business and asking me how I am or what it is or whatever. So I'm just going to make them a meal and have them be separate from me right now as I grieve in my own way. And so when Fran is like, please, he's like, no, no, I have my own plans. Thank you so much. And he was like, see ya. So maybe it was a, <laughs> an, a, cal- a calculated move on his behalf so that he can have his own time too. And I also think that I, what I do like about it though, is it does show like the layers of like human experience. Cause sure. these are things that people, you know, deal with when they also are in spaces that are like very white, you know, it's like, yeah. How do I find my own safe space? <laughs> and you know what? God bless him for getting the fuck out of there because we continue into a very uncomfortable marriage proposal that leads to a rejection of said marriage proposal. It's just very jarring to see two people having a fancy dinner during a zombie apocalypse. But that's the point. That's the point, you know? So I think this is a great transition moment from the, oh, we're living in a mall where we have access to everything and everything is wonderful and we're consumers and this is exactly the American dream to be trapped in a place where we'll have everything so we'll be able to survive. But then after this uncomfortable marriage proposal and this like death of their friend and burial in the mall, we get this montage of mall life that is way less shiny and way less excited about being there. It's it's showing that, oh, this isn't the magical place. If anything, hearkening back to what Fran said, that you guys are hypnotized by this place and how shiny and fancy it is and when really you still have to live in reality which is this is a prison now just like she said is this the moment of the film where we see fran and flyboy naked in bed together just like staring off into space this is after they pan through a bunch of different moments of like less shiny mall life the last part of that montage is them sitting in bed naked probably after sex that i'm gonna go ahead assume that went poorly and (laughs) it, it pans out to them literally almost catatonic staring into space This was so bleak. Bleak. Oh, my gosh. But also, I was kind of judging the span of time by Fran's um, belly. And according to said belly, not a lot of time has actually passed to get them to this point. It doesn't feel like it. No, I don't think so. Because quite literally, the next moment is her adding an X to the calendar. And we see all these other X's before it. And we see her belly has grown a little bit. So I think the 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 less shiny montage and the sex post sex shot is still pretty early on them being there but then we do eventually get now we jump now we jump because got it Mm -hmm. not only do we see a little belly on her but the home looks different they now have a couch in there there's art on the walls it looks great it's lived in it's a home now Mm -hmm. and we see a different kind of montage it's it's now it's an accustomed life it's Peter playing squash on the roof. It's Fran playing with makeup at the makeup counter. It's 
it's seeing the zombies still trying to get in through those doors outside. Like it's, but now this is just life for them. But still the novelty inside has worn off and we have to keep chugging along in this weird new living situation we have. But there is one nice thing, which is Stephen is teaching Fran how to fly the copter. So that's very nice. Unfortunately, this has drawn attention to two random gentlemen sitting on top of a roof with binoculars. And uh, these two dudes, well, one of them is some guy and the other guy is Tom motherfucking Savini and his switchblade comb, which he uses to brush his little mustache. I used to have one of those as a kid. Why? I don't know, but (laughs) I did. So they see the copter flying and they're like, oh, shit, there's some people there. There's stuff there. We got to go there. And so they plan on hitting them tonight at the home base. Their CB radio goes off and it's those guys from the rooftop basically being like, hey, we saw your whirly bird, dude. And how many of you are there? And uh, I think you could use some company. There's only three of us when it's very obvious on their end that it's a whole crew of fucking people. Rowdy Oof. fuckers, too. Stressed me out. This, this, is, this is scarier than the zombies to me. Humans are the monsters. Always. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and Peter, who's listening quite correctly says they're raiders and he tells uh steven and fran to shut the fuck up just listen but unfortunately this doesn't land very well on the raiders ears because they say we don't like people that don't share and you just fucked up real bad and the crew of raiders gears up and gets on their motorcycles and they ride down the hill towards the mall And Peter and Steven see them approach from the roof. And it's a shit ton of them. Ooh, terrifying. Those little lights coming down the hill. Uh Uh-uh, no gracias. Imaginate, imaginate que son cuatro personas. Son cuatro. Y allá, there's like... Ahora son tres. Ahora son tres Oh my God, so sorry. I forgot about Rogers. It's three. Yeah, he's dead and gone. Mm -hmm. Fuck. So... Peter and Steven run downstairs to shut the gates and Steven assures Fran, listen, they'll never know that you're here. Stay up here at our home base. And they go. Meanwhile, outside the Raiders arrive, they're throwing grenades at the zombies and they, as they're approaching and they start shooting at them and everything and sledgehammering and it's chaos. They are killing these fucking zombies left and right, doing their thing. And they're about to move one of the trucks when they realize, oh, you just got to shoot the locks at the loading dock door and those doors are slide right open. And so that's what they fucking do. And Uh. they motorcycle their way inside, which while they're doing that, Peter and, and Steven on through their walkies, they are closing their gates and doing that kind of stuff. But Peter tells Stephen the Raiders are in, but also they open the bay doors, which means that a thousand zombies will be in here soon. And it's the first time in this series where they say the actual word zombies. So that's zombies. Cool. <laughs> that is very cool. 
But Peter also says this could work to our advantage. Like we can just stay cool and watching and the zombies and the raiders can take care of themselves, basically. But the raiders ride into the mall, causing a ruckus. Okay, Johnny, were you a Sábado Gigante guy? Not particularly. Why do you ask? Yes, I was. (laughs) Okay, Bex. (laughs) So when the Raiders are driving in, you hear the trumpet go, which is from the Chacal. So so in Sábado Gigante, Johnny, there was a section where they had the Chacal, where they basically would bring up people from the audience to sing karaoke basically and most of the time they all sounded fucking horrible and the chacal which was basically a grim reaper character like imagine Uh ghost face but a different face not ghost face Mm -hmm. and he had a trumpet and he would play that little trumpet song when you sucked at singing oh no they would boo and everybody would say, E fuera, E fuera. <laughs> so when wow. I heard when I heard this horn as they're riding into the mall, I was like, the chacal? I thought chacal. <laughs> <laughs> Who's gonna be singing? Who's singing? Quien canta? Tom Savini? Are you gonna sing us a tune? <laughs> But also the fun part of it is when somebody goes and they're actually good, people are like, holy shit. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter tells Stephen, listen, hide out in the fucking balcony and let these fucking dudes sort themselves out. It's fine. But Stephen doesn't listen, you idiot. And Uh. as as the raiders start smashing into the stores and taking everything, as predicted, the fucking zombies come in and start filing up into the place as well. Chaos ensues. They shoot at everyone and the sledgehammer, these dead people They're Now here's something I, I thought of at this point. We're a couple months into the apocalypse, right? Mm. Like they're taking money from banks. They're taking all this jewelry. They're grabbing all this shit that isn't practical in an apocalypse. It's like useless. I feel sure. Even before where we saw uh, Peter and Flyboy like taking money from the bank, although that felt more just like almost funny for them. But here we see people like raiding the bank and stealing the money very, very greedily. And this, so I think, like, first of all, it, it it ties back to, you know, this is our instinct. This is, you know, we 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 take, we take, we take, you know, consume. consumerism. But this whole sequence, too, of, you know, like the R3, well, four, now three, created a, a, a space of their own. This mm-hmm. is our space. Now, this might be a bit of a left turn or like a, a bit too much of a reach here, but you all tell me if this resonates at all. But all these people fucking coming in here and taking and taking and taking, I was like, this might be, aside from, you know, uh, Romero's comment or commentary on consumerism, capitalism, this also felt very much like colonialism to me. Oh, Just like, I come in here and I will yes. take what I want. Wow. And leave you in ruins. And I know we're talking about, you know, in this group of our like our heroes, the majority of, the, of them are, are white people. But I was like, 
it might be that this is another thing that Romero's trying to throw in here. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because when we see these the Raiders going to the bank and taking these stacks of money, it feels like you've, you're like angry at them because you're like, how dare you? But when we saw yeah. Peter and Steven do it, we were like, ha ha ha. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it, like, it's weird. Yeah. And like, because it's not, it doesn't like this space doesn't belong to Peter and Roger and, you know, our, our crew, but they worked so hard. Yeah. To Get it the way like they like they killed all those zombies. They put them into the fucking freezer next to the beef. You know, like they <laughs> they blocked the doors. They did so much. Yeah. So I, I I it's a little bit of a stretch, but at the same time, I was like, this is how this is hitting me at the time. You know what I mean? I think you absolutely are hitting several things on the head, even to the point where Stephen, who has ignored Peter's like not orders, but him saying go to the balcony. Peter cocks his gun and he points it at this Raiders and he says, it's ours. We took it. It's ours. So he mm, feels mm -hmm. some ownership over this space and he starts to shoot at these Raiders and killing them. And yeah. the Raiders see this. They start shooting back. They interrupt one guy's very important blood pressure testing moment that he needs. To Sir. <laughs> y también, is this the dude who's wearing a sombrero? Este es el señor que tiene un sombrero. Y por qué? Bueno, pues, to check, the, check your blood pressure, sir. This is a great time. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Shove your arm into that sleeve and see if you're 90 yeah. over 160 or whatever blood pressure is supposed to read. Listen, yeah. there's always time for your health. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> In the apocalypse, yeah. you have to make sure uh, everything is healthy. going right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Jenny, I think you're you're really spot on because, you know, it's also like they recognize that these people were coming to destroy. Like it would have been different, you know, if they would have been like, hey, there's so many of us. It seems like this is a large space. Would you be open to sharing it? But no, they were like, oh, you didn't share. We don't like that. So we're just going to take whatever we want. Right. And, yeah. We come in here to destroy. Yeah. But not take. only that, but. Peter even says to Steven over the walkie, he's like, what are you doing? Why are you shooting at these guys? They're not here for us. They're here for the space, for the things. So he's mm -hmm. literally being very real and saying, let them take what they need or want or whatever. Let the zombies and themselves figure it out. Once they're done, they'll probably fuck off. But like. If you instigate, it's going to be make it worse for us. That make, puts us in a dangerous place. Mm. But unfortunately, Steven doesn't give a shit and they've started a war. And the Raiders are going ham on not only the, the zombies, but literally trying to shoot at both Peter and Steven. We get great gore stuff at this section machetes to the head Tom Savini is just doing karate kicks all over the place with his bell bottoms on which is hilarious dude the karate <laughs> kicks there's Ridiculous. so much there's so much like physical shit here where like to the point where they are like Let's go to the pie store and throw pies in the faces of the zombies and seltzer, not just pie. They are literally doing an old timey clowning routine with these fucking zombies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
But after pieing, they're like, let's get to killing. So machetes to the head. There's a machete in the neck of a kid that I was Mm. like, that looks fucking great. It looks so good. Yeah, and it's so fast and shocking. You're just like, oh, fuck. God damn. It's great. Uh, Still, more shooting. And throughout all this, there's looting all the time. They're just grabbing things everywhere. Peter is shooting now also at the Raiders from the upper level. And Tom Savini and some of his goons see him and they're like that's the fucking guy that's shooting at us and they go upstairs to try and meet up with him de repente las luces se apagan why from where from what i didn't understand this but okay the grid is down I, i guess Stephen has made his way into the elevator and climbed into the into the shaft whilst peter has found his way to the rope ladder that goes up to their to their space and into the air duct, which Tom Savini sees him climbing into. I see you, chocolate man, he says. Did you hear this? No, um, I don't remember that. I see you, chocolate man. I was like, no, no. Tom. Through the ducts, Peter gets to the mall light switch, <laughs> the power grid, something, sure. and he turns the lights back on, which also starts the elevator moving, which lands it on the floor where the Raiders get inside somehow and know that Steven is up there. I, I don't understand how they knew. He's like, he's up there. How? Who knows? Whatever. Maybe we missed something. This section, no, this section is completely wild. And there's a lot of stuff that you're like, okay, I guess I'm just accepting this, but whatever. Sure. sure. So they see Steven, they shoot at him up there, which gets him right in the shoulder. It's another explosion of blood that I'm like, whoa, that one's really intense. But out on the mall floor, the Raiders are swinging on flag banners and sledgehammering as they pass by zombies. We get a Savini knife to the neck on a zombie, but soon Peter pops out of one of the vents and he shoots Savini, sending him flying off of a balcony, a lovely stunt that Savini is not in just in this scene, but he is everywhere flinging his body all over the place. Anytime you see somebody flying, it's Savini. Finally, the Raiders are like, I think we're good. Let's get the hell out of here. So they start shooting the zombies as they pile onto their bikes and roll out of the mall. But Peter is also still shooting at them, injuring them and letting the zombies finish the job. We get the great, I mean, classic, cool, amazing shot of the dude going back to his blood pressure (laughs) fucking testing and the zombies biting at his arm leaving the arm in the blood pressure thing and when it's finished doing the test it says blood pressure zero i love that pero señor señor que desesperación para saber he wasn't sure the first time he's like it seemed (laughs) off (laughs) oh my god So the zombies are munching on all these raiders as they're as that ones that stayed behind, ripping out these guts and chomp, chomp, chomping on them. It is so nasty. This fucking montage of just like legitimate guts. Like, oh, yeah, truly 
squiggly wiggly intestines. Ew. Disgusting. Imaginate being the extra that's like, okay, well, you're just going to throw this weird bone into your mouth and chew on it, okay? All Whoa. right. <laughs> Over in the elevator, Stephen walkies Peter, who tells him to climb back up into the shaft of the elevator and he'll come get him. And as Stephen starts to climb, the damn zombies get into the elevator and attack Stephen's legs before he's able to get away. And they pull him down into the actual elevator and Peter hears all of it and he knows that it's bad. He goes back to Fran, who's still at the safe space at the home base and still pregnant. <laughs> and she asks if Stephen is dead. And Peter says he heard his gun, so maybe he might be okay. But we have to wait and see. After hours of Peter standing out on the stairs waiting for Steven to arrive. Fran is the one that's like, it's almost like he hasn't answered the radio for hours. We have to go. I was really surprised by this. Mm -hmm. That, that Peter was the one that was like, I'm not willing to let go yet. I wow. still have hope that maybe he'll come up the stairs. Well, that makes Fran sense, too, because he had that moment in like, you know, where he's kind of like thinking it over whether or not to go. And he finally decides to go. And you can tell that he feels like guilty about that decision to mm -hmm. not go back for Steven. So I feel like yes, he was just like, totally. let's just wait it out a little bit longer because then he probably doesn't right. have to realize the gravity of the situation, you know? Right. And I mean, it doesn't help that his other friend fucking died and turned into a zombie right in front of him. Like this is his circle, which is was four is now two people is yeah. that's it can be easy to let go of on the floors of the mall. Una musiquita que me volvió loca. Anyways, the zombies are back in the mall where they've wanted to be all along. They finally are able to drone about walking through the floors and the stores into the skating rink, going up the escalator. The elevator dings open and out pops zombie Steven. He looks Classic. so good. Yeah, this is really cool. You've mm -hmm. seen that everywhere also. It's so good. The way he walks out, it's so, it's yes, brilliant. Yes, I was going to say his physicality is really good yes. in this moment. I don't know how he would have, like, the way he's dragging his foot the particular way that Dude. he does. I was like... I, that has to be some sort of practical effect because that's just, and he's kind of like twitching around. Cause I imagine like, you know, when you become a zombie, I don't know, science or something, but sure. like <laughs> it takes like a while. It's kind of like when a deer comes out, you know, their mother, they're kind of wobble around. Right. Sure. So he's probably like, you know, kind of fitting into zombie him. He's like figuring it out. Yeah, figuring <laughs> out his new zombie body. My zombie legs. As they wander along, zombie Steven instinctively walks over to the fake wall that he helped build with Peter. And 
a few of the other zombies, including the one that took the rifle from Rogers at the top, who that zombie with the gun just holding it at his face. I'm just like this fucking yes. guy. <laughs> Barrel to the head. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. All of them go over to the area where the fake wall was and they break it down and they make their way over to the home base. Fran hears this and Peter tells her it's Steven and they're coming up. But he also tells her, get out of here. I don't want to go. You go. Get out. And just then, zombie Steven makes his way inside the home base and Peter shoots him in the head. The best blood splatter of this film. That fucking head explode in the back looks great. But unfortunately, others have followed zombie Steven in. So Peter helps Fran onto the roof and he locks himself into one of the rooms, holding a teeny tiny gun up to his temple. One of the zombies makes his way into his room and rather than shoot himself, he decides to shoot the zombie. And this somehow reignites his will to live because he was ready to fucking give it up. But at this moment, he's like, Fuck it. And he grabs his rifle and makes his way up to the roof, punching a bunch of zombies on the way. But the zombies have also climbed the ladder that goes up to the roof. Pero la Fran, que es profesional a volar helicóptero ahora, she is like a pilot now. She closes her helicopter door and is ready for liftoff. But wait, Peter has made it to the roof. He does some fun kicks and punches to what sounds like the A-team music. It's like it's fully just Americana playing, which is so funny to me. And Peter jumps onto the hovering helicopter, making it just in time. Peter asks Fran how much fuel they have. Not much, says Fran. All right, says Peter. And they fly off, leaving behind the mall and its zombies as the sun rises. Fin de la película. Nicely done. We Nicely did it. Done. We did it, y'all. Okay. How about we get into some trivia? Let's do it. One thing that I had is that Tom Savini really regrets the coloring. Uh, choice he did for the zombies, which like I agree, some of them came out kind of blue. Um, yeah, but I think a, a lot, lot of them, them, a lot of them. Um, <laughs> so I understand, but I also feel like it was probably a difficult decision after Night of the Living Dead being in black and white. Yeah, and, yeah. you know there were probably a lot of choices that had to be made there. So I, I'm like I get it. So in the scene where they are, um running around like this is after roger's been bit and he's in the wheelbarrow uh they run past a place the the brown derby and that's the, the bar. bar that's the bar so a lot of the extras and some of the extra like uh in the cast they would hang out there during filming but they kind of were a lot and at one point they got drunk and they stole uh a golf cart so i thought that that was like funny and they crashed it in the mall it just goes to show, though, like how fun this filming must have been for everybody. Like I get to be a zombie and then at night I can just hang out in this mall bar. Cool. Great. Sick. Love this. Yeah. 
people were paid apparently like one dollar and they also got like a uh they got a dawn of the dead like t-shirt so a lot of it was just like people who were interested probably after the success of the first one were like oh i just want to be like involved you know i think it was a really big pittsburgh like honor to be like the thing in pittsburgh for a while was i'm from pittsburgh and i have the like the privilege of being someone that was in a fucking George Romero movie. A Romero movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think my last piece of trivia was that, okay, the timeline is so weird for like the, the movies because this is supposed to take place in like, so you look at a calendar and it says 78, but night of the living dead happened in 68. So mm. this and this is supposed to be not that much after that because um, the events of Night of the Living Dead would have been August 31st of 1968. So if this was just mm. like a couple months after, it was supposed to be October of 68. But that doesn't doesn't really like work, but it doesn't right. have to make sense. It's fine. But I thought that that was <laughs> yeah. interesting. One more piece that I just remembered. Uh, when they were filming this, they had to like halt production for a little bit because it was around Christmas and it was way too expensive to have to take everything down, all the Christmas like signage and whatnot, just so that they could film. So, can you imagine the fu- that would have wow. been a nightmare to do? That's my trivia. Love it. I love Great it. Trivia. So I just wanted to talk. I I literally just looked on IMDb and was like, show me the trivia. And it is the lengthiest list of trivia you've ever seen. So something that I found interesting is that it says here, Dario Argento was an, an admirer of George A. Romero's work and vice versa. When Argento heard that Romero was contemplating a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, he insisted that Romero come out to Argento's native Rome to write the script without distractions. Romero knocked out the script in three weeks, and though Argento read the script as it came out, he left all the writing to Romero. Argento also provided most of the film's soundtrack, and in return for the for the rights to edit the European version of the film, assisted in raising the necessary funds. So I thought just important to mention how Dario Argento is, you know, connected to this film. It also says here that much of the fake blood used in the blood packets was a mixture of food coloring, peanut butter, and cane sugar syrup. Tom Savini, head of makeup, head of makeup effects was unhappy with how the blood mix photographed. It looked fluorescent, which I'm pretty sure is literally a word you used during this episode, Bex. However, director George A. Romero felt it was perfect for the film's comic book style. And to add to that, it says that Dawn of the Dead was intentionally more comedic than Night of the Living Dead because Romero wanted it filmed in the style of a comic book, which I'm going to say I didn't know that going into this film and reading that after I was like, I wish I had known that. Yeah, because I think it would have helped me kind of just wrap my head around like the tone of what this film was putting down. You know what I mean? But there you go. It also makes the bluish tones of the zombies and the fluorescent red against that blue tone like that you would see that in a comic i feel like that would be the color tone so i also just wanted to talk about george romero and like you know his latine roots which we already spoke about 
in our Night of the Living Dead podcast or, or episode, but that was a quite a long time ago. So just to revisit. Um, so George was born in the Bronx in New York City, and he is the son of Anne Dvorsky and Jorge Marino Romero. George's father, Jorge, was born in Ferrol, Galicia, Spain. Galicia. And his mom is said to have Lithuanian origins. So I also found this article that I will quickly revisit here from NewYorkDailyNews.com that says George Romero R. Zombie in Havana, written by Raimundo Monel. And it just says here that George Romero, who at the time was pro promoting Diary of the Dead, says he would love to go back to Cuba, his father's homeland. We went to Cuba right before Castro. My father still had his family there. We went a couple of times to visit his family in the summertime when I was off school. I was in my mid-teens. It was beautiful, he remembers. I remember my uncle used to give me cigars and take me to nightclubs. So just to revisit something we mentioned in that Night of the, Dead, Night of the Living Dead episode is that, you know, yes, these roots go back to Spain. However, he does have Cuban roots. And so... We all do also, well, I, I won't speak for every, for everybody, but I have Spanish roots, Me you know, too. even though I'm from Honduras, because, you know, we were all colonized, we have Spanish roots, you know, it's part of our, it's part of our ancestry. So the vibe I get is that Romero might have not felt particularly connected to his Latinx culture or his, or his Latinx ancestry, but that connection is important to me. Me, Johnny, and I think also to a lot of his Latine, Latinx fans. So I just think it's important to remind people of this and that we can claim him as one of our own. And, you know, fucking love the guy. He's amazing. And uh, that is my trivia for today. Hell yeah. Well, how about I talk about the Monroeville Mall? Great. Listen. Monroeville Mall is a shopping mall located in the municipality. 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 Mew. In the municipality. In the place of Monroeville, <laughs> Pennsylvania, east of Pittsburgh. It was completed in 1969, extensively renovated and expanded in 2003 and through 2004. And includes a Barnes and Noble, Cinemark Theaters. Johnny, you would have, if you were to hey. be there, you would have been to see, able to see your movies. Dick's Sporting Goods Store, J.C. Penney's, and May Macy's as anchor tenants. With 150 stores, Monroeville Mall is currently the eighth largest shopping mall in Pennsylvania, and the mall is famous for being the filming location of the 1978 George A. Romero film, Dawn of the Dead. So I just also want to quickly uh, give other uh, pop culture moments that were in this mall, because there are a few others. Besides Dawn of the Dead, the ice skating rink at the mall appears in the 1983 film Flashdance as the rink in which Gene auditions. There you go. Wow. Some scenes from the film Zack and Miri Make a Porno, directed by Kevin Smith, were filmed in the mall. In the 1984 children's fantasy film The Boy Who Loved Trolls, 
12-year-old Paul is seen wandering through the halls of the mall as shots of many long-gone storefronts such as the candy tree are shown. That's where I would have gone, the candy tree. That is, yeah, all the <laughs> things that you would do in your apocalypse, Johnny, are referenced here. In episode 1483 of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Chef Brockett participated in a cake decorating contest that was filmed in the location of the old fountain court at the mall. In season two, episode five of the Netflix series Mind Hunter, one of the entrances <sighs> of the Monroeville Mall was used as an entrance of the San Francisco International Airport. Wow. Okay. Wow. The power of television. In literature, Stephen King's Christine takes place in the fictional suburb of Libertyville, Pennsylvania, which is adjacent to Monroeville, where the mm. mall is. And in music, the song Early Sunsets Over Monroeville by, the chemi by My Chemical Romance invokes the Monroeville Mall. Vocalist Gerard Way describes it as a sweet song about Dawn of the Dead, which I think is cute. <laughs> cool. And finally, let's talk about Macumba. Macumba, also spelled Macumba with a K, is a term that has been used to describe various religions of the African diaspora found in Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay, which, I, which is why I was like, Trinidad isn't on there, but okay. Hmm. It is sometimes considered by non-practitioners to be a form of witchcraft or black magic. The Atlantic slave trade of the 16th to the 19th century brought millions of West and Central Africans to Brazil. There, traditional West and Central African religions continued to be practiced, often syncretizing with each other and with both indigenous American and European influences. Among the Afro-Brazilian religions, traditions that emerged were Candomblé, Umbanda, and Kimbanda. During the 19th century, the term Macumba was used gen generically in reference to all of these religions. Hmm. By the late 20th century, the term Macumba was often reserved for those religious traditions whose focus was on dealing with, quote, low spirits, who were sometimes termed exes or devils. And these practices differed from Candomblé and Umbanda, which focused on interactions with the Orisha spirit. So remember I said how like dark and light. So that kind of vibe. So it's a Portuguese word. Kind I, of. Not really. Because it, so, Brazil, it, it originated in Brazil, you had said. Another. Yes, it's def, it's very prominent in Brazil, but I'll give you the etymology of it right now. So we know where it came from. <laughs> Macumba is a percussion instrument of African orange, orange, of African origin, similar to the reco reco. Reco reco? I, this is how I'm pronouncing it. The macumba looks like, como se llama esto? My Afro-Cuban jazz ensemble has, like, information has leached out of my ears. But it looks like those, those instruments that are, like, Rick, rick, rick kind of yeah 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 it's got grooves that you like rub a stick against yes. and it makes you know 
a musical so sound. That's the macumba. I wasn't familiar. That's so interesting to me because there are, there are so many traditions and practices that, you know, came from the African diaspora. And I, as much as I like, I'm like, yeah, I'm familiar with this one and this one. There's always so many more that pop up. So always more to learn, you know? Absolutely. So, and very quickly, just to finish up the Macumba section, it says here, Brazilian Macumba designates all Bantu, Bantu, religious practices, mainly in the Brazilian state of Bahia in the 19th century. Because when the Portuguese came with all the slaves, they landed in the northeast of Brazil, which is right where Bahia is. And so that makes sense why it's such a large uh, diaspora of this of these practices is centralized there. Later in the 20th century, these practices were organized into what is now called Umbanda, Kimbanda, and Omoloco. Macumba became common in parts of Brazil, Uruguay, and Paraguay, and Argentina. And it, and it refers to any ritual or religion of Afro-American origin. And although its use by outsiders is usually derogatory, referring to all kinds of religions, superstitions, and rituals related to luck, and it is considered offensive among its practitioners, it is not seen negatively. Now, this is where I'll reference my, my Tiliana often has referred to macumba and macumberus as like a bad term or an offensive term. And it's just because she's Catholic as hell and, you know, she associates that with like devil. You know what I mean? So. But other than that, it's like any other religious practice or spiritual practice. It's people learning about deities and such things and spirits. And uh, it can't go wrong to learn a little bit more. So look up Macumba, guys. And that's the end of my trivia. Well, how about I ask you all some questions. Okay. Bex, were you scared? No, I personally, I think that a zombie outbreak is terrifying, but no, this movie was not scary. Eileen? No. Johnny? <laughs> I agree. No, I agree with you. The, the two of you, I was not scared. Mm. Bex, in this not scary film, what was your best scare? <laughs> I think when those kids came running out, that was particularly horrifying. Eileen, your best scare? I have two. For me, it was when Stephen Flyboy is in that like office and in the back, we see the zombie walk by. I gave me the willies. And also the mannequin zombie that popped out out of nowhere and grabbed at Rogers. So those are mine. Yeah, yeah. And you, Johnny? Mine was just that Hare Krishna zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you are creeping me out. Zombie? Uh, I, I was like literally watching the scene and I was like, I don't want to look at you. It was very strange, my reaction to that. Um, Bex, who was your favorite character? Peter. You can say more than one if you want, by the way. Oh, that, hey, hey. <laughs> you don't got to ask her. She knows. Uh, no, she knows. Uh, Eileen, who was your favorite character? Fucking Peter, dude. <laughs> and you? I also said Peter, but I also mentioned Fran because I loved her arc. I loved her journey. She, not that, like, she was a very capable, smart person, you know, at the top of our film. Um, and she just becomes an even more powerful character by the end of the film who, you know, 
who can do it on her own. I mean, I know she's got Peter there, but I was like, this lady is she'll she's she's good to go. She's good to go. Hell yeah. And I want to expand upon that real quick because this is something I just remembered mm-hmm. that I should have mentioned in trivia, but there was an alternative ending where like Peter and Fran took themselves out. But (gasps) I'm really glad they didn't go that route. And the fact that you do see the arc and you see them like, we're just going to learn how to survive together because we know we have each other's back, you know? So. Oh, I'm so glad that wasn't the ending. Uh, Expanding on Bex's point, Tom Savini built the head that explodes in the beginning of the projects. That was originally a Fran head. And what was going to happen is she was going to get her head cut off by the blades of the helicopter at the end. And they repurposed the head to use it in the, in the beginning of the film. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that they didn't go in that direction. This ending that we got was a lot more interesting. It is bleak. You don't know what's going to happen to these people, but it leaves you a much better choice, in my opinion. Agreed. Bex, what was your best line? When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. That one really resonated. Classic. Fucking classic. Eileen? I have two. The first is the priest saying... You are stronger than us, but soon I think they be stronger than you. And then the other, of course, was when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And you? That was mine. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. It's just so iconic. And honestly, if I'm being if I'm being real here, it is iconic to me because Ken Foree says that line in the Dawn of the Dead remake on TV. And I just remember being like, oh, God, this line. And to just to, to see it, the origin of it in this film, very, very powerful. Bex, what was your best death? That head blowing up in the first, <laughs> like, because you're just like, oh, my God. And the pink day glow blood. You're just like, this is a lot. <laughs> so, so good. good. Uh, pink day glow blood. Ay, Dios mio. Yeah. What about you, Eileen? I have three. Uh, wow. The head exploding because I thought that looked great. The blood pressure arm, <laughs> just because I thought it was hilarious. And then mm-hmm. lastly, Steven, because I thought he I really liked his transformation into zombie. And uh, without his death, we wouldn't get that amazing zombie performance. And you? Mine was blood pressure sombrero. I was just like, <laughs> Señor, yes. ¿qué estás haciendo? Señor, Why the need right now? dónde sacaste ese, ese sombrero? <laughs> <laughs> Bex, did you learn anything about the culture? No, other than the fact that like us as Americans, like capitalism has seeped into who we are. So if we become zombies, we're probably hanging at the mall. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Eileen? Mine was no. Uh, agreed. I think for me now, though, if I were to become a zombie, I'd be hanging on the computer uh, looking at Amazon. Or recording a podcast. Or do, or <laughs> scrolling through TikTok, to be honest. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Iwo? Um, I also said no, but I will, also, I will reiterate what Beck said. Yes to all of that. Mm-hmm. And finally, Bex, how many ooies out of five do you give this movie? I had to really think about this, and I think I'm going to give it a 3.5 because there's a lot of social critique. It's great. A lot of points were made. But I just feel like the coloring, the makeup is is something that takes me out of it at times. 
You know, yeah. it still has a solid like story that I feel like holds up. But I was going back and forth between a four and a three point five, and I'm like, I think it's gonna be a three point five for me. Great. I hear that, Eileen. I gave it a three. Uh, <laughs> just approaching with trepidation. Apologies to major fans. Uh, I agree. I think, I think the story ages beautifully. I think there is still so much of what this movie has to say that really lands in this day and age. But visually, it's hard to connect to that because there is this goofiness to it that I guess is what Romero wanted, but I think that kind of pulls me out a little bit, which is why I think with the remake, there it because there's a touch more seriousness to it uh, and less blue and day glow red that it, those two things work a little bit better. But when it comes to the script and the storyline and the, the points about society and how we're living, I think that's, that's going to be forever, baby. So three for me. Jonathan. I also gave it a three and a half, a 3.5. But I will say that that is like, this is my first experience with this film. And I actually look forward to watching this again, hopefully even many more times, because I feel like Romero's work deserves that. And I think the more I watch it, the more I will appreciate it because I know like the tone, the vibe we're getting into. Uh, So upon my first experience, 3.5, maybe that'll change the more I get to know this film, but it'll, you know. I give it that in honor of the fact that it's the fucking original Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, you know? totally. And that's that, everybody. We did it! Well, let's we did get it. the fuck out of this mall because something stinks in that refrigerator back there. And, <laughs> and it uh, ain't the beef. <laughs> <laughs> Bex, thank you so much for hanging out with us and chatting with us about this very uh, colorful film, if you will. <laughs> Um, (laughs) let the people know where they can find you. And if you have anything to plug that's coming up, uh, please, we are happy to hear it all. Yeah. I, um, check out my podcast, uh, I'm in the process of a relaunch, which, you know, I, I feel like the cool thing sometimes about having a co-host, like y'all are so fortunate to have each other because you can help keep people in check. I don't have anybody to check sometimes my Mm -hmm. random Mm -hmm. rants Mm -hmm. about like shamanism and you know it's interesting because i've there's a lot of like spiritual groups that if you want to like learn like curanderismo and stuff like that they're like we don't even want to look at you until you're like 30 because we have a lot of growing to do at times and so Mm, i'm excited to like behind the paywall it's like if you really want to understand my journey it's all there on my patreon which it's at bexby casting um my website's bexby casting and I have a cannabis magic class coming up in a few cool. weeks. Yeah, I, hey. I'm doing it in store at Sincerely the Craft and also I think virtually. So yeah, you can, I'm pretty easy. I'm on all the socials at Tutia Bruja. Send me a DM. Okay. I love talking witchy stuff. Yeah, let's yes. get to know the witchy, witchy business out there. So everybody oh, yeah. find Bex on the old redes sociales and uh, and send her a message and ask her about witchy shit, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, yeah. 
Great. Um, and as for us, we thank you for listening and being here in this uh, very noisy, loud mall. But don't worry, it's a little quieter now. Uh, please remember to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen in cualquier plataforma. Follow us on our redes sociales at Wikiorror on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. You can find all of our movies on our link tree, linktr.ee slash Wikiorror. Send us an email about how you feel about Dawn of the Dead. Do you you think it's fucking awesome do you think it's kind of bad what do you think let us know at wikiror at gmail.com thank you to sonoro for being the helicopter that flies us into your ears you can follow them on their <laughs> redes sociales at sonoro podcast on twitter and instagram and tiktok too and finally guys if the three of us were to be holed up in a mall when the eventual apocalypse arrives I think we'd be okay. We'd be great. We got this. As long as you're coming with us, Bex. As long as you're there. I'd be there. We'd figure it out together. Awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll meet at the gun store. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love you guys. We <laughs> love you too. Thank you for me again. Such a great time. And we'll see you guys in la próxima semana. Adios. Adios. Bye, guys. Uy, qué horror es una producción de Sonoro. Produced by Jonathan Atkinson and Eileen Clark. Edición y mezcla, Karina Riverol. Escuche Uy, qué horror en cualquier plataforma donde escuchen podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Adiós. Adiós. Sonoro.